You know, for many people around the world, Christmas is just another holiday, right alongside July 4th or New Year's Day or Memorial Day. Uh, The characters in the Christmas story, Joseph and Mary, the wise men, the shepherds, even the baby in the manger, have no greater significance to some people in the Christmas season than Santa Claus or Frosty the Snowman. They see nothing different about the Christmas story. They see Christmas as a time for giving and receiving gifts, for having parties and get-togethers with family and friends and maybe taking some time off work, and, and that's about it. So the question then for us should be, is Christmas really more than just another generic holiday? Is it really more than presents and decorations and snow and grandma getting run over by a reindeer? Is it really more than all of those things? And I wonder if someone came from another planet to earth at Christmas time and observed all of the activity going on and then went back to report to their people what Christmas was all about, I wonder what they would see. I wonder what they would pick up from everything happening at this time of year. Would they really understand what Christmas is all about? As Christians, are we really celebrating something that has eternal consequences? Well, the Bible tells us repeatedly that that baby in the manger was much more than an ordinary man who just grew up to be a nice person and a good moral teacher. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the wonder of who, who that baby in the manger was, and he was none other than Emmanuel, God with us. Last Sunday, we looked at the wonder of how, how he came into the world. And today, I want us to consider the wonder of why, the wonder of why he came. And we don't have to guess about this at all because at the root of everything we celebrate at Christmas, the Bible makes it unmistakably clear as to exactly why he came. In fact, before Jesus was even born, the reason for his coming was announced. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we recognize this verse, we hear it all the time, but listen to it again, Matthew 1, 21. She that is Mary. This is the angel talking to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus in Hebrew is the name Yeshua or Joshua, and it means the Lord is salvation. So the very name Jesus revealed his mission. The same thing was made clear in one of the verses we looked at last Sunday, in Luke chapter 2, but it's so easy to skip right past it without really noticing it. Look at it again, Luke 2, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a baby. Is that what it says? That's what we always say, right? Hey, the baby was born today. No, this is very different. Look at it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This appears all over the place. Here are some examples. 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and testify. Now this is about 
uh, oh goodness, I don't know how many years later, I have to sit down and calculate this, but John is writing this many years after the life of Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension. He's looking back on it. It's still precious to him. He says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son, why? To be a good moral teacher? No, to be the Savior of the world. John 4.42, after the woman at the well had given her life to Christ, she went back to the town and she testified of what she had seen and heard. And they said to the woman, we now believe not only because of your words, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man truly is the Savior of the world. Acts 4.12 makes this very clear. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It goes on and on. But here's the real question. Why does the world need a savior? Well, let's break that down a little bit and ask one simpler question, one level back. Why does anybody need a savior? Why would a person need a savior? Of course, if we think about that for even a minute, we understand exactly why someone might need a savior. A person would need someone to save them if they were trapped in a situation where they were in grave danger and were unable to rescue themselves. Workers trapped underground in a collapsed mine shaft for days with oxygen running out would obviously rejoice the moment they saw light breaking through from a rescue party coming to save them. A hiker caught by surprise in dangerous mountains by herself in a sudden unexpected blizzard who gets disoriented and lost on a dangerous trail and slips and breaks her leg. She's out there all alone. There's no chance of her rescuing herself. She needs someone to come and save her. And we can certainly understand those examples. They're real-life examples. But why does the world as a whole need a Savior? Well, because when God created man and woman, he placed them into a perfect environment in the garden. We studied all this when we went through Genesis, where they enjoyed pure, unbroken fellowship with God, with each other, and with their surroundings. But they chose to turn their backs on God. They chose to sin. And because of that, death and decay and destruction came flooding into the entire world. Romans 5.12 sums it up this way, about how we got caught up in this. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death passed on to all men, because all have sinned. And we still see and feel the effects of that to this very day. I don't think, especially after this year, I don't think I would need at all to try and convince any one of you that something is very wrong with the world. It's horribly broken. It's filled with pain and suffering and heartache and loss and anger and strife and hatred and greed and violence and war. And the single cause, here's the, the thing that's missed, the single cause for all of that can be summed up in one word, sin, sin. But mankind has always 
refused and still refuses to admit that sin is the root cause of all their problems. In fact, most people would be quick to avoid labeling themselves as a sinner. Most people say, I'm a good person. I try to be nice and kind to others. I don't hurt anybody. And because of man's unwillingness to admit that sin is his problem, humanity continues to look for solutions in all the wrong places. They've tried every imaginable thing to fix the world. The United Nations was established in October 1945 in order to, and I quote from their mission statement, bring all nations of the world together to work for peace, end quote. But after 75 years of trying, they have failed abysmally to bring that goal about. The world is no more a peaceful place than it was before that organization came into being. Governments think that more laws are what is needed to bring about order and civility. Humanitarian groups believe that social reform is the answer. Some think that more money needs to be put into certain areas. Others think that better education is the answer. But none of those things have solved the problem, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things per se. But none of them have solved the problem. I mean, wouldn't you think that after all these centuries of trying, we would have figured it out by now? We're so smart. Why? After all this time, after all the so-called enlightenment and advancements of mankind, why is the world still so horribly broken? It's because until the world recognizes that its problem is sin and that their only solution is Jesus, it will never get better. It can never get better. As long as people continue to blame poverty and lack of education and inequality and racism and crooked politics, as long as they continue to blame the problems on everything other than sin, they're going to keep aiming at the wrong target and hitting it every time. All of those things are problems, but the cause of every one of them is sin. And until mankind admits that sin has turned us away from living according to the perfect laws of God, they'll continue to stumble around in darkness using all the wrong measures to determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. We get a glimpse of how this works in Psalm 14.1. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? What is the outcome of that, of someone who takes that position? Here it is. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. That's the outcome of a person who says either, I don't believe in God, therefore I'm going to live how I choose, or... I suppose God is real, but I'm certainly not going to live by his rules and his laws. What happens to those people? We see it taking place in the world. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. And I think about 95% of that exists in Washington, D.C. See, sin has blinded us to what our real need is. And that is that we need our broken relationship with the God of the universe made right. 
But what does all this have to do with Christmas? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. Because if people refuse to recognize why Jesus came into the world, they're literally denying and suppressing the only solution to the world's problems. So here's why Jesus came into the world. Well, first, he didn't come to help us be better people. He didn't come to teach us to be nice to each other. Here's why Jesus came. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come. Why? To seek and to save the lost. That's it right there. That's his whole mission in one verse. The Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, has come to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came, to save us. But maybe there's another question that should be asked by that person visiting from somewhere else who's trying to figure all this out. Save us from what? Well, just like those miners trapped in darkness for days on end with oxygen running out are unable to dig their own way out, and just like that person trapped in the treacherous mountain ranges in the blizzard with a broken leg is unable to save herself and walk her way out the miles that she needs to find safety, they're totally dependent on someone else to come and save them. And in the same way, our sin has separated us from God and left us with no way to get back to him on our own. Isaiah 59.2 says, but your iniquities, your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Listen, I got great Christmas news for you this morning. If you have ever sinned, even once, you need to know that your sin has cut you off from God forever. Now, don't leave now because I have better news coming. If you sinned even once, you are right now cut off from God, cut off from your only hope in this world and the world to come. And on your own, you have absolutely no way of reconnecting with God. This is why Paul said in Ephesians 2.12 that all those who are without Christ have no hope and they are without God in the world. What a tragic statement. What a terrifying position to be in without hope and without God in the world. You see, our sin is not just doing bad things that might put a black mark on our name. The sin in the world has, has left people in a place of hopelessness. Hopelessness. I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't encounter this in someone. Last night, I don't know, 9, 10 o'clock or something, I spoke to a young girl who Caroline and Nick went to high school with. She didn't grow up in a Christian environment, but she hung out at our house some and we befriended her. And She was sobbing. Her little brother took his own life. And sweet little Abby. And you could just hear the sobs of hopelessness. And so what did, I, what did I do? What did I say? Oh, just keep your chin up. Things will get better. 
Everything works out for the good. No. No, she needed to be reminded that there is hope beyond the tragedy and trauma and pain of this life. That's what sin has done. It ruins lives. The thief, Jesus said in John 10.10, has come only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I always thought in my brilliance that those last two words were reversed. I always thought it should be to steal, to destroy, and kill because I always thought killing, death, was the ultimate worst thing, but it's not, you know? Because even after death, Satan can still come and destroy people's lives who are left without God and without hope in the world. Our sin has separated us from God and we are unable to restore that relationship. That's why we need a savior. But not only has our sin separated us from God, it has also, it's done something even worse. It's put us under the wrath and the judgment of God. Man, is this Christmas message getting good. This is going to be better than last week, I think. The Bible says that sin must be punished. If God is a holy, pure God, no sin can exist in his presence. Therefore, none of us can enter his presence on our own. Our sin has separated us from him, but our sin has also brought us under the wrath and judgment of God. Because sin must be punished. And since we've all sinned, we're all facing the judgment of God and the due punishment for our sin. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. And that's not the end, folks. And after this, the judgment. And what exactly is the judgment that we'll receive for our sin? Psalm 9.17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Horrifying words. What a horrible, hopeless future to have hanging over us, especially knowing that on our own, there's nothing we can do to get out of that. We need a savior. We need a savior. And here's the incredible news that Christmas brings to us. The whole reason Jesus came into the world was to forgive us of our sin and to free us from the judgment of God. We see this so beautifully in John 3:16 and 17, which no one ever seems to read the next verse. Let's hear this again. For God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now here's the beautiful add-on to that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That wraps it all up right there in a nutshell for us. God loves us so much, he sent his son into the world to take our sin upon himself and to rescue us from the coming judgment. But listen, if you've never believed on Christ, you are still under God's judgment and condemnation 
and you will face his wrath in the day of judgment. But that is a totally unnecessary outcome. Because everyone who puts their faith in Christ will not only be saved from sin, they'll be saved from the coming judgment. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Wow. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who try really hard to be good. Nope. To those who go to church all the time, nope. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ Jesus. That's what Christ has made available by his coming into the world, by his death on the cross, and by his resurrection. He provides salvation from sin and rescue from the coming judgment. But how exactly did he accomplish that? Well, he accomplished it by giving his sinless life as payment for our sins. You see, God's holiness, and we saw some of this in um, Exodus when we were going through that, and Leviticus as well. God's holiness requires that you and I live a perfectly sinless, righteous life. How are we doing with that, church? All have sinned and fallen way short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, we can never accomplish perfect righteousness. So where then does our perfect righteousness come from that makes us right with God? Listen, it comes from the perfect sinless life that Christ lived on our behalf and the perfect sinless death that he died in our place. There's a couple verses on that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He himself is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice, the purifying sacrifice for our sins. Who is it? He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This has been called the great exchange. Christ took our sins upon himself and he willingly suffered the punishment of God for our sins in our place. I know I must have talked about this at least a thousand times up here over the years. But may we never grow tired of being reminded of this, of what Christ did for us. May we never go, oh, this again. I've heard this so many times. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin. They cannot work to fix the problems in the world. It's only through Christ, through Christ, that a person can ever be saved. 
Again, the Bible speaks to this over and over again, this language of us being in him and the importance of us being found in him on the day of judgment, not standing there by ourselves going, ah, I think I can talk my way through this. No, being hidden in him so that when God looks at us, as someone has beautifully said, he doesn't see our sin. He only sees the righteousness of Christ because we are hidden in him. And he says, come on in. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. 1 John 5, 11, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. That's why Christ came. He came because we needed him to come. He came because we were hopelessly lost and we needed a savior. That's the reason we celebrate Christmas. The whole world was lost in sin and Christ came to bring salvation. But listen, we can talk about that all day and yet if we miss one crucial piece, we've missed everything. You see, it's not enough to talk about the lost condition of the world in general, generic terms, as though sin is something that exists out there. We Christians are really bad at this. Looking down our noses at the world out there and all their problems and shortfalls and sin. Those awful people out there. We must be careful. We're just like them apart from Christ. The need for a Savior must not be seen as an issue that only some people have. We must each recognize our own need to be saved from sin. Paul summed it up perfectly in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance. I don't have time to dig into why that opening line is so important. It's like being in a court of law. He's saying this is the ultimate proof right here. There's, there's nothing greater you can turn to. You can take this to the bank. He says this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance. What's he going to say next? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief or of whom I am the worst. You see what Paul is making clear here. He's not pointing fingers at the sinful world out there. He's saying, if I've ever said anything that's true and reliable, it's this. I'm the worst of sinners. You see, he brought it home and made it personal. So let me ask you, have you ever come to that place of admitting that you're a sinner, of recognizing that you are hopelessly lost apart from the salvation that Christ came to give and believing on him to save you? Have you ever done that? The Bible says that you personally, personally must make this choice. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son 
has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. How clear is this? John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And Romans 10.13 gives us this promise, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? See, here's here's the simple truth and yet a jolting reality. Each of us, by our own choice, is either saved or lost. You can't get into heaven riding on the coattails of a good godly grandmother. You can't get into heaven by attending church more than anybody else or giving money. Every one of us, by our own choice, is either saved or or we are lost. When the Titanic set sail out of Southampton, England, it was the grandest ship that had ever been seen. The names of every passenger on that ship were written down on one of three lists. First class, second class, or third class. And those three lists separated the passengers into different classes of status and importance. But after that ship sank to the bottom of the ocean, two new lists were made. And they became the only lists that mattered. They appeared on two large boards outside the Liverpool office of the White Star Lines where hundreds of relatives and friends gathered to learn the fate of their loved ones. On one board printed in large letters were the words, Known to be Saved. On the other board were the words, known to be lost. When it was all said and done, status didn't matter. Those were the only two lists that counted. And folks, when time on earth is over, there will only be two lists that matter. Saved and lost. Which list are you on today? This year, amid the beauty and festivity and rush of Christmas, may we remember the real wonder of Christmas that God took the initiative to send his son into the world to save us. That's why he came. And I pray that every one of us, if we haven't already, will recognize our need for that one who came and that we will put our faith and our trust in him for salvation. Are you thankful for why he came? Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina. 
2-9616 USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. to see